perfect. Fabulous. So, um, firstly, thank you so much, Corin, for, for no this. I'm really excited about having a chance to get to, to talk to you. And um, I'm, uh, if I just give you a little quick overview of sort of where I come from. So I'm, I'm very much involved in sort of understanding skill development and skill acquisition. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I learned many years ago that actually the most fascinating insight that I ever get is when I talk to people who are really skillful and people who do different things and, and, and just listen to what um, their experience is. Um, and you know, I, I, if you if you ever do read any of the, the little blog articles that I write, one of some of the earlier stuff um, that really influenced me was was listening to people like Johnny Dawes, who was a really good rock climber. Um, Alid Williams used to do a lot of paddling, certainly in the in, you know in Anglesey in the Straits. Um, people who were considered um, either exceptional in what they did, or other people just didn't understand what they were talking about, were always the ones that I was really fascinated to listen to and recognised that actually their connection with their performance world was something that was totally alien to me. Mm. So, um, and, and there are a couple of reasons. I'll, I'll, I'll let you introduce, I'm recording now, so I'll let you introduce yourself in a minute. In a minute. But the, the, okay. the reasons I'm really fascinated about talking to you is that not only um, are you a really skilled um, athlete, skilled performer, but you also then design and make kit and you've then done the same thing for your son. So, um, for me, I'm absolutely fascinated, um, you know, in being able to ask you a few questions about how you've done that and the things that you think are important and, and really how you approach those three different areas in terms of understanding um, the, the relationship between a performer and the environment and how really you maybe design the kit to, to support that relationship. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. <laughs> Perfect. So I think what would be really nice to kick off is so you just give an overview, though, as though someone had never heard of you before. Um, just a quick introduction. That would be brilliant. Uh, my name is Corin Addison. I'm a primarily a whitewater kayaker. Um, I'm originally from South Africa and grew up during the apartheid years in South Africa, uh, which is actually what motivated me to leave. And I moved to Europe when... Uh, when I was ready for the draft, right before I got drafted, I moved to Europe with my mother and met a number of uh, really top-notch European paddlers. I was very lucky to get an introduction to people like Tony Prion and Richard Fox and um, Marcus Schmidt and some other really, really top-notch European paddlers when I moved there as a teenager. Um, I then decided to move to the United States in uh, the... Uh, late 1980s uh, and got a job at Perception designing for them, uh, which lasted for about three years. I then quit and went off to train for the Olympics, which I competed in the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. Um, And then uh, went on to freestyle kayaking and extreme kayaking, uh, three world championship medals. And uh, in that time, I've uh, started, owned, sold, Restarted, earned, sold about a half dozen various paddle sports companies. Um, and uh, that brings me to where I am today. Wow, Fab, that is, that is quite an impressive journey. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, I'm just like, oh my goodness. So we, we've got, 
Um, so it'd be interesting. Did, did you paddle when you were in South Africa or did you start paddling when you moved? I think it's the first thing that would be. I was paddling in South Africa. My father saw the film Deliverance and wanted to learn how to canoe and he couldn't find a canoe. This is, you have to remember, apartheid years in South Africa, we had no contact with the outside world, almost none. Um, so we got snippets of information, but never the full story. We had books about how to build a kayak, but these books were from the 60s, um, you know, with sketches and drawings and, and the construction techniques were all a decade or more old. Um, so he couldn't find a canoe, and the, the university where he was teaching had a kayak mold lying around for whatever reason. It's beyond me. They had this mold lying around, and he roped a couple of his students into joining him on, on a kayaking trip. None of them knew the first thing about paddling. They knew not, I mean, nothing. They didn't even know about paddles, spray skirts, seats, flotation, lean downstream, none of it. I mean, literally nothing, absolutely nothing. They built these boats from this book <laughs> and went kayaking and sank all their boats, got off the river four days later. I think it was supposed to be a two-day trip. It took them four days and swore that they would never go anywhere near a river again. And that was it. They were done. And two months later, they pulled out the mold and they were building themselves a new set of boats. And this one's going to be bigger, better, stronger. And and you know, I'm, I was six years old, and I'm watching this, and I just wanted to be part of this group. I mean, my dad is my hero, and then his friends were even more so my hero. And I wanted to be—I wanted part of that. So I started paddling when I was about six. Um, you know, lakes and things like that. Initially, uh, whitewater when I was eight, I think, uh, for like class one stuff. And um, but uh, and then yeah, I said, and I only moved to Europe when I was uh, when I was a teenager. So. Um, I'd been paddling for quite a while by then. And by then I'd made friends with the, the world silver medalist, Jerome Turan, who was a South African who was living in the UK, who competed for the UK in 1981, got the silver medal. And uh, he came and worked for my dad, who'd started by then started a whitewater rafting and kayaking company um, in South Africa. And then he knew the right people in Europe and I got introductions. So, um, I was very lucky. I was extremely lucky. I happened to know the right people at the right time. Wow, that's that's amazing. So you, um, it, it sounds like that combination of building and creating craft and performing was really in there from the very beginning. Um, just just by virtue of that, the environment that you were in, and with your, you know, not having Kit and your dad doing that, and amazing to then go through and. Um, and, 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 and just correct me if I'm wrong, but you sort of ended up then um, work, working for Perception as a designer, which is which is a, a, a their boat um, designing company. Did they do the dancer, the original dancer? We can pick up on that later as well, actually. Yeah. yeah. So no, you've touched on a point there that I think is interesting, um, which is you know people talk about paddling and they talk about designing. As yeah. these two things, you're a paddler or you're a kayak designer, or maybe you're a paddler who's, who got into kayak design later on in life. You, you realize that, uh, um, you know, you look at guys and these are people who I respect and I'm nothing but the utmost respect for, whether it's 
uh, Eric Jackson or Shane Benedict or Bob McDonough or Snowy Robertson or any of these guys, these are all people who were paddlers. Yeah. Who were then offered a job somewhere to start designing. To me, the two were always the same thing. There's never been this divide between me, the paddler, and me, the designer, because the very, very first time we ever thought about going paddling, first we had to design. Yeah. yeah. There was no equipment. We reinvented the spray skirt. We reinvented the seat. We reinvented the footrest. We reinvented the paddle. These are all things which were taken for granted elsewhere. Yeah. But you know, we put a, a, a plywood onto a closet dowel for a paddle and went paddling in the lake and the wind chopped would the wind would was blowing against the blade and so you're like, you know what, we should bend, we should twist the top blade so that it's at 90 degrees to the one that you're using so it slices through the air. When everybody takes that for granted. Yeah, yeah. We, we didn't know that. We invented that. I mean, we thought we invented that. Then you spray skirt. We, you know, the boat's filling up with water. You need a spray skirt. But before you do that, you need a boat. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so the two have never been, they're inseparable. I cannot paddle without thinking about design. And I can't think about design without paddling. They are one and the same. It's like my left leg and my right leg. I can't walk without both. And that, I think, is what I wear. Um, where it really fascinates me because in my mind, I think that in order to get the most out of performing in an environment, you need to understand the relationship between you and the environment and whether or not that is supported or thwarted by the kit that you're using. So the, the, the design of the equipment that you're using, if you understand it well and can adjust it, is going to um, have a huge impact on that relationship between the performer and the environment in which they're performing. Does, am I making sense? Yeah, I don't think necessarily for everybody, but certainly for me. I mean, they are guys who I competed with my entire career who were never designers, never had any interest in designing. Um, they understood how their equipment worked, but basically they paddle for X company. They were given the latest design from X company. They learned how to use it and they went off and won medals. Um, so, or one, you know, got waterfall records or whatever it was that they, that they specialized in. So I think there's plenty of people out there who don't feel the need or don't have the need or it's just not a thing where it's it's a part of their paddling experience that they need to even know or understand and they are still absolutely world-class paddlers mm. um but Do you i don't think i could have been a world-class paddler if i wasn't also a designer i don't think i'm wired that way <laughs> is is that because um well well why why do you think that i think that's probably can i can i give you an open question there why why do you think um design as well because when i get into a boat that i don't like and it's not just kayaks it's snowboarding it's motorcycles it's, it's everything that i've ever competed in or pushed myself in surfboards you name it if i get into a piece of equipment that's given to me that I didn't work on, I really struggle to make it do what it should do because 
I'm trying to make this thing do what I want it to do rather than bending my skills to what it does. So when I'm designing, I design the boat to paddle the way that I want to paddle or my surfboard or whatever it is, or my snowboard, whatever it is that I'm on. Um, so, you know, I get into boat X from company whatever, and I can't do anything with it. I'm, I'm useless. I'm terrible. Because it wasn't designed for me, so I can't make it work. Okay, so my next question, which I'm sure you'll probably guess, <laughs> is um, when you design for other people, which I know you do do, don't you? And I know you certainly designed for Calix, your son, which I really want to pick up later on because, again, I find that absolutely fascinating how you would rethink the, the design problem in terms of supporting a child learning, which would be very different from uh, somebody who's accomplished to get the most out of a performance environment. But how do you... Do you have a sort of process of designing when you're designing for somebody else? Okay, so, um, <laughs> boy, that is a loaded question. Um, Sorry. <laughs> I'm joking. Okay, so <laughs> until, until very, very, very recently, and I mean the last three years, so let's ignore the last three years and look at my entire design career prior to that. I never designed for anybody else. I always designed for me. And if it works for you, great. And if it doesn't, tough. Okay. Every one of my boats has been designed for me or designed the way I paddle, even if it's a bigger version or a smaller version. Even if I'm doing a boat which I could never get into or would be massive on me, it's still designed for me, but for someone bigger or smaller than me. Um, if I'm uh, the way I would approach it, for example, if I'm doing a beginner boat is I say to myself, well, a beginner is someone who feels like they're out of control and who feels intimidated and who feels like they really need their boat to help them out. Well, that's the way I feel when I'm on class five. So the same thing that I want is what a beginner wants, except that they want it for class two, three. Yeah. But it's the same need. It's the same features. And so because the designs work for enough people out there, there's a whole generation of paddlers who paddle a little bit like me because if you <laughs> want to paddle my boats whether you're an expert or a beginner is irrelevant you still learn to paddle a little bit like me if you want to be in my boats and that's the same for everybody if you're in ej's boats you're going to paddle a little bit like ej if you're in shane's boats you're going to paddle a little bit like shane we all have a little bit of ourselves in our boats that is that's that's universal yeah um but Possibly other designers, and I don't know this for a fact, I have no idea, but possibly other designers are better at saying, I'm going to do a boat that I absolutely hate, and it's not for me, but I think there's going to be people out there who love it. I can't design that boat. Well, I have a hard time designing that boat. Again, you know, winding back more than three years, because if it doesn't work for me, I don't know how to make it work. Yeah, that's, that's the, I think, for me, the million-dollar question because, you know, I think about the way I interact and I can only, I can only conceptualize the information in an environment that I can perceive and use, which would be what I would use to design something, although I don't design boats. And if, right, so if I can't conceptualize it and I don't, 
and I'm not perceiving that information and using it, then it's not accessible to me in order to put into a design. Exactly. So there's a, a great quote from a scientist that I don't think it was Neil deGrasse Tyson. I think this is before him. Um, <laughs> and he, he's talking about why science fiction movies, the aliens always look humanoid. They're mm -hmm. green men. They've got four fingers instead of five. They've got big green heads. They've got two eyes or four eyes. Um, they've basically got a breathing apparatus and an eating apparatus of some sort, and they've, they've got sort of limbs of some sort. Because as humans, we have a hard time imagining something that we don't know. Like, yeah. it's very difficult to think of something that, you, that you've never thought of or that you don't know about. So invariably, our aliens are variations of ourselves or something that we know, some kind of an animal. Maybe it's bug-like. Yeah. or it's cat-like, or it's, but it's always based somewhat on something that we already know. And to me, that's the way it designs it. You know, oh, you know, I can try and design a beginner boat, but I'm basically trying to invent an alien. And at the end of the day, that alien still looks a little like something that I know, even if it's green with a bigger head than a body. <laughs> it's still something that I can relate to. So uh, that's why, you know, I say I, 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 I I suspect that the other design is something similar, but I don't know. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't want to put words in other people's mouths. And maybe some will say, oh, no, no, no. When I'm designing a beginner boat, I'm really designing a bigger boat, beginner boat. But are they? You know, um, I'm pretty good at what I do. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you, you design with what you know. And what you know is what works for you. And yeah, sure. So I'll do a boat that's wider than what I want. And it's not as fast edge to edge and it's got more rocker um, so that it makes it more forgiving and it's not going to be as fast on a wave. Um, and, you know, you can definitely go firing down to the wave and plow into the bottom and it's not going to bury and it's not going to flip you over and you can raise the edges so that it's more forgiving sideways. And, you know, these are all things that I take that work for me and then I adapt them so that it'll be easier for someone who's learning. So I take a boat that I know, that I like, you increase rocker, you raise the, the edge, you flare the sidewall. You, you know, these are all things that I've taken that are, are essentially things that make my boats good for me. And now I'm trying to make it easier for other people. But it's still going to be me. You know, it's still me in that boat. Yeah. It's still, I, I, or me, you know, the design is still coming from me. So anyway. Uh, you know, we don't want to obviously harp on this for too long, but, <laughs> you know, my point being that I can't paddle without designing. Every single time I'm on the water, I'm thinking about how the boat can be better. And every time I'm working on the boat, I'm thinking about all the cool stuff I'm going to do when I'm on the water. And the two are inseparable. That, that's really cool. That, that is really cool. And I kind of, I think one of the things that I find interesting is because my, my sport that I do is, is equestrian sports. Mm -hmm. And we so our performance apparatus as it as it were is a horse which doesn't stay stable so every moment that i'm with my horse i'm thinking about how we work together so how i how i help my horse become more responsive or less responsive depending on on what i need it to do so it's kind of the same thing i'm thinking about how i design my perfect partner and how I influence that. So even though I'm not actually creating something, I'm still influencing, which is, which, uh, does that make sense? It's kind of, there's yes, it does. but it's not different. I'm always thinking about that relationship and how I help 
how my interaction with my horse can can support the performance outcome that I want. And 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 for when I'm thinking about backing a horse for a beginner, I'm thinking about and it'll be interesting if you're the same with the boat. I'm thinking about how how much I dampen the, that relationship, the effect between what they do and the outcome they get, because they need they need some um, margin of error and forgiveness. But if I make it too much, then they're not learning the effects of what they're doing. So if I translate that to a boat, so there's some beginner boats that I've always thought are pretty horrific because they're basically floating platforms and they don't help the paddler learn about the results of what they do because they've, right. they've destroyed the relationship too much. They're, they're, they've become so safe and unresponsive that they no longer support skill development. And that's where there's a difference between boats for kids and boats for adults. That's actually sort of the dividing line and how it's completely different is, um, you know, and I think you've touched on something interesting there where exactly, you know, if you, if you dull it down too much, you've destroyed the relationship between you and your craft. In your case, it's a horse. In my case, it's a kayak. And if there's never any feedback or useful feedback, both positive and negative, um, then you can't progress forward. So here's something that as you were speaking, it kind of, it's sort of, a, I was thinking about one of your earlier questions about people who, who, who don't necessarily think about design when they're, you know, uh, paddling and they're still world championship paddlers. Yeah. And as you were saying that, and you sort of talk about horses, something came through my mind and, you know, at the, at the risk of sounding crass, um, you go to a bar and you meet a guy or a girl, depending on your preferences and what your, you know, <laughs> what you, your sexual plumbing is. Um, but you meet something that already exists. This person is already who they are. And then you see if you're compatible or not. And if you are compatible, you take this to, um, you know, a next level and maybe you end up with marriage and kids and the rest of it. Okay. And, but this is a pre-existing model, and you can influence its design a little bit. In other words, depending on how young you are, if you're obviously if you're in your 50s, not so much. But if you're both in your 20s, you're going to have a huge influence on each model. So you know, you're adjusting your backband and moving your seats and you're changing up the bulkhead because you're both growing as people, okay? Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I build designer girlfriends. In other words, I don't go into a bar. I build mine from the ground up exactly the way I want it. I'm from the future because I'm not compatible with the one that's in the bar. I need to build mine my way what I want. Is that because you have um, <laughs> developed a really um, deep understanding of the relationship between you and your environment and an understanding of how much the craft that you design um, influences that relationship. So if we think about beginners, you know, we've talked about if you're designing something for a beginner, you, you can go to the stage where you make it so safe that it's no longer actually responding. It's not, it's not creating a connection between you and the environment because it's dampening it all down. And for an elite um, performer, Ideally, their perfect craft is one that connects them and their, their individual um, 
abilities to their performance environment to maximize. You're doing the opposite, aren't you? You're exaggerating. So where you would might dampen something out, you are gonna you're gonna sharpen it up for an elite performer. Yeah? Yeah. So I don't want to work hard. I want my boat to do the work for me. I'm the same I want it to res- I want it to respond <laughs> to information and I want it to do the work. So if you're driving a car I don't want to have to actually pedal the car and get out and run around to the front and physically turn the wheels physically. I want to push something under my foot that sends a signal to a pump that puts gas in a motor that's told to ignite, that explodes, that turns the pistons, that turns the crank, that turns the wheels. I don't want to physically be turning the wheels. I want it to do it for me. I don't physically want to have to turn the wheels left and right to make the car turn left and right. I want to fly by wire where I turn the wheel and it sends a a, a signal or information to the wheels and they then turn left and right. I want this to work for me. I don't want to do the work myself. And when I design the boat, I design the boat so that it'll do what I want it to do with a minimal amount of input from me or effort from me. I do the tiniest little thing and the boat knows what I want and it does it. This is also why a lot of people struggle with my boats because traditionally in the past, at least when I was a, a better paddler than I am now, they were so sensitive, they were so responsive that any information you gave to the boats, you got an immediate response whether that information was good information or bad. If you gave the boat a bad directive, it also responded to your directive, and sometimes that went sideways. Yeah. Because you didn't want it to do what you just told it to do. <laughs> you, told, you told it to do it, but you didn't mean to. I've got a horse like that. You can't burp it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there you go. So, um, and I can relate. I've, I've ridden a lot of horses, so I can, you know, I can relate to what you're talking about there. But... Um, so obviously, as I've gotten older, you know, I'm no longer even close to being anything like the paddler I once was. Um, and so I do want my boats to be a little bit less responsive to the input because my reactions are slower. My information that I'm giving to the boat is a little less defined. It's a little bit more vague. Um, I give that information to the boat slower. And when it gives me information back, I react to it more slowly. So sort of all the things that uh, people criticized about my boats when I was a young, younger designer and I was designing boats for me. Um, now, all of a sudden, there are these people who are getting my boats and they're like, oh, this is surprisingly easy to paddle. I'm like, well, it's because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I want it to be easy to paddle too. <laughs> so basically, that's, that's dumbed down that you talked about where – you want response, you want feedback, but you don't want too much. Um, that's kind of where I am now. And then you've got to take that to extremes with kids, which we'll get into in a little bit. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. We, haven't, we haven't got an awful lot of time, so I think that would be a really nice time to segue into that. Because mm-hmm. um, you, you, Calix, how old is Calix now? He's just turned six. He's just turned six. And I've seen the videos yeah. of him, and I, I'm just like, that is awesome. I mean, I thought my son was pretty cool at six, but Calix is absolutely in another 
another league. And, and what I love is like me, I mean, when I, when I, when my, my son was six, there's no way I'd have left him behind. Not a chance. You know, I loved spending time with him. The good thing about, well, the bad thing about that was that he was better than me at everything except riding horses by the time he was about 10. Mm-hmm. The good thing is I had the most awesome adventure playmate the rest of my life, pretty much, because he would go and do so much stuff and he was so competent that right. there's no way I was going to leave him behind. So I took him with me. I've got pictures of him, you know, belayed to sea cliffs at the age of three with a pack of jammy dodgers, you know, like tied in, mm-hmm. he's properly tied in so he can't undo himself, you know, on, on the HVSs and things. And he loved mm-hmm. it. You know, it was just normal. And I, I watched, the, I look at the pictures of you and the video with you and Kaylex and think, it really makes me smile because it reminds me of that. But also, you know, I think so many people miss out on not doing stuff with their kids when they're little. Um, but I'm also really curious about, so about, about the stuff you do with Calix, but then also about how you design kits so that he can come and join you. Because the kind of stuff that I did, I didn't really need to do that. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that's the fundamental, isn't it, right there, is I, there was never a goal to be making kids kits. In fact, I never really thought there was going to be a market for it. I know that EJ did it, and, and he was one of the first people who really, really made an effort to produce kids' kits. But let's be honest, it was for Emily and Dane. He wasn't necessarily thinking that these were going to be the biggest sellers. Is He believed that if his kids are in the same equipment that he's in, but scaled down, they will be better paddlers for it. And he was right. And he was right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to go off and buy a boat from EJ. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I would. Um, uh, in the case of his smallest boat, it's because I don't like it. And that's not a knock on him. I just, I just didn't think that a three-year-old needed a high-performance freestyle boat. You know, the fun one is a, performance freestyle boat with low edges and it's catchy and edgy and loads up. And I was like, maybe Dane was already at that level. And that's why he did the boat that way because it's what Dane needed. You know, my son isn't or wasn't. So, um, so basically I shaped him a boat out of foam and built a fiberglass one and took him in the spa and took him on the little river and played around with him and he loved it. And he was going with me in the boats and, we would go to the river and my wife would sit on the shore and I'd be out surfing. And the entire time I'm on the water surfing, he's throwing a temper tantrum on shore. <laughs> he's not waiting. Um, because, yeah, it, this is not right. Why does daddy, I mean, he couldn't even speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was clear when he's pointing and guest, you know, gesticulating and the rest of it that this is not cool. Daddy's out there and I'm not. Um, so I made him a boat. And it was just a cheap fiberglass boat, and very quickly it broke it. And I was like, oh, this is nonsense. I need to make this in plastic. <laughs> okay. Well, if I make this in plastic, okay, so how many of these things do I have to sell to pay for the mold so my son can have one? And that's how it started. Um, and okay, so I got to sell 50 of these things. Okay, well, let's, let's throw this thing on Facebook and see, you know, and see what sticks. Oh, look. I sold more than 50. I've sold 250. Well, this is bloody awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know? So then it's like, okay, so this is great for class one. Um, and basically the boat, the mini-me, the first boat I did, it's a platform. It's a door. It's flat from end to end with some rocker in the very, very end so that the nose doesn't dive. But you don't want this boat rocking back and forward because you're talking about two, three, four-year-olds um, who have limited 
motor skill and certainly mental motor skill understanding. Um, so you're you know, dampening you that relationship. If I go back to yeah, that. You, you, yeah, you don't want the boat going up and down yeah. when they're hitting waves. You kind of want it to plow through the waves, but we understand that you're talking about waves which are three inches high. Okay? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you don't want that boat rocking up and down, the nose going up and down, because that's going be, to be spooky. And it's got a flat bottom all the way out to the edge because you don't want it rocking side to side either because that's also spooky. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's a door. It's like paddling a door. I mean, if you made the mini-me <laughs> into an adult shape, it would be horrible. Nobody would want to paddle that thing. There's zero feedback. You know, it's literally like a door, but it's absolutely perfect for Kydex okay. when he was two, three, four, five. It was the, it was the perfect boat um for him and if somebody else who's starting out at four years old or five years old it's the perfect boat still you know because there's those are still young kids it's just he started so young that he his skill level is now where he was ready for a boat that handles like a real kayak which is why i did the mini monkey which it now has continuous rocker which means that the nose goes up and down as it's going over waves it has a slightly rounded hole with rounded sidewalls which means that it rocks side to side you put a beginner in this and it's going to spook him yeah, Heinex, he's been doing this for four years. It's normal for him. He's quite happy to sit in that thing. And, and now he's able to take his paddling to the next level because it's a really, really good boat for him. Um, and paddle on water that's moving. I mean, we haven't got time to go into that, but that sort of like once you've got water that's more than a three-inch wave, you don't want to be stuck on it on a board because then, then that gets spooky, doesn't it? Right, exactly, exactly. So, you know, we were taking that class one, decent-sized class one, where the waves were, some of them were almost a foot high, you know, um, and they're starting to go over the deck, and, you know, he's got a skirt on, and um, the boat was still good because it's not bouncing up and down, but he's starting to get some shots in the face and things like that. And that's when I was like, hmm, okay, it's time for a new boat. The next. Um, <laughs> that, that next, that next level boat. So let's put this on Facebook and see how many I can sell. <laughs> you yeah. um, need to see a pattern here. <laughs> yeah. So then the, the terrible two, the thing with the terrible two that came along was, you know, he was two and three and four. It's, it's class one. You're not taking him into anything else. And anybody who thinks you are is, is a lunatic. Um, you know, so I had him, I, I, I had a pedestal in front of me in my creek boat and I made a skirt that had a second tunnel and we would get into the boat with both of us in the same skirt and he would sit with me and then we would paddle down class three, two, three whitewater. Um, but as he started getting bigger, by the time he was like two and a half, getting close to three, it was becoming awkward. He was too big. He was in my way. I was having to paddle really high. It was making the boat unstable. I was, you know, this isn't working. So I got in a, in a, in a, in a topo duo and I was like, mm. nope, like on a lake. I was like, nope, no way. Not a chance. <laughs> He's too far away from me. Yeah. I can't grab him. I can't put my hand on his shoulder. He yeah. gets spooked that by the time I get to shore, he's going to yeah. be terrified. He's yeah. going to be right there, right in front of you, just like sitting on your lap, but yeah. a little bit away from you. So that if he gets a wave in the face, you can immediately grab his shoulder and talk to him. He can lean back. I can lean forward. I can give him a kiss on the cheek. I can hold his hand. If we flip over for whatever reason, I can pull his skirt and we're out together in the water and I'm holding on to him. 
I don't yeah. care about the boat. I'll buy another boat. Who cares? Yeah. Um, you know, that kind of thing. So the terrible two evolved from me wanting to take him on the hardest stuff that he was able to do on his own. And the goal of that was very selfish. I wanted to go run harder stuff in class one. And I know I had the skill set to take him. And we were running some class three yeah. marginal four stuff when he was three and a half years old. Um, you know, some pretty chunky stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but the, the result of that was that he gets out of a day with me in class three plus into his boat on class one half one. And it's tiny compared to what he did the day before. And so he's very at ease. Yeah. And I guess he's also starting to pick up that perceptual information and getting used to what the river looks like, even if he's not paying attention to it. He's still seeing it, isn't he? He's still, you know. At uh, four, he could do it. At four, he was able to yeah. pick out a line. Pick out a line. Over the top of a rapid. He knew. He, like, I never, until last year, until the end of last summer, I'd never given him a kayak lesson. Not even wow. one. Nothing. It was wow. just getting that the boat. Was the thing I asked. That's incredible. Yeah. So he's picking up all that information through you, through that sort of social learning and experience and being on the water and the, doing the stuff with you. Um, yeah. It's just, so he, he learned to look for the green tongue. Yeah. He knew, he knew that the green tongue with the little swirly stuff on each side, you wanted to stay away from the swirly stuff because that's what we'd always done. We yeah. always put the green tongue. We always went for the biggest waves. Yeah. And you know, I would say to him something like, keep your boat straight, go for the big waves. Big waves are the yeah. easiest. Yeah, you know, I would say things like that to him. But he's you know, it wasn't at all action coupling, he's already starting to pick up out of Yeah, he exactly. And then because he you know, he rides motorcycles and he rides bicycles and he skateboards, when I would say and, to him leaning with the terrace and he skates boards. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he snowboards, yeah, he snowboards. He's not a very good skier, he can, but he kind of sucks at it. Um <laughs> So, um, it would be awesome. But, He'll be in the Olympics skiing. Watch. <laughs> well, the way the joke I tell my wife is, you know, he's going to the Olympics. We just haven't decided which sport yet. Yeah, and he can just he can just take his pick each year, can't he? Start with one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, kayaking is my sport. It's a sport that I love. It's a sport that I want him to love. But it's not his favorite. Snowboarding is his favorite. He loves snowboarding. That's his sport. Um, followed pretty closely by skateboarding, which obviously go hand in hand. He likes going kayaking. He enjoys it and he's good at it. But, you know, he he doesn't beg me to go kayaking the way he begs me to go snowboarding. We can kayak for an hour or so, and it's enough. He's had enough. Whereas he will go for four hours on a snowboard, you know. Um, Interesting. And my son loved um, – so he because he'd, he'd, uh, he'd cracked his coccyx when he was younger, so he really struggled – falling off a snowboard um and so he skied and skated street skated which is kind of similar you know they're very similar aren't they and he would do the same thing i could yeah. not drag him in from doing that and he would be out you know it was like he'd only come in when he was either really hungry or it was pitch black um, yeah that's the thing is as long as you have as long as you have a uh, 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 pizza bread in your pocket <laughs> yeah. Peter bread and peanuts because he whip these out and, and you know he gets to the top and he just eats snow yeah, you know, yeah. To, to wash it down and you can go yeah you can go for hours and hours I mean to be honest with you half the time when we were done is because I was done mm. I was done I was just I had no more legs I'm like dude I got nothing it's like it's time to stop oh just one more one more come on daddy one more one more one more one more please 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 I'm like dude 
my legs are done. I got nothing. <laughs> how many coaches would love that? I'm really I'm mindful of the time, actually, so we are going to wrap up. But I'm just thinking, how many coaches would love that? That you know, I, That's what I always think. When I think about, um, you know, the way, or the way I think about um, skill development and coaching and coach development, and I think, God, we, should, we could learn so much from that because, uh, you know, we, if we're coaching in, in a um, formal way, we shouldn't be able to get people off the water, off the pitch, off the snow, off the rock, whatever it is that we're doing, you know, and, and yes, that's not the mindset or, or it, I think it is more now, but historically that hasn't been the mindset of those who are doing the coaching. So I'm aware Yeah, that- you know, he's too young. I, I, this keeps coming up and people are like, oh, you know, and, and I, I laugh about it. he's going to be a world champion, he's going to go to the Olympics, but you know what? It's just so not important. You know, if he does, that's great. Uh, cool. You know, but the hardest thing of all, I think that parents struggle with, and I don't know why it was actually kind of easy for me, but because you would think I'm so competitive and my life has been so competitive that you know, I would be pushing for it, but it's not. And I'm just like, just have a good time, and, which is why I never, I never coached him. When like the first last summer, and it was only because I was with Valérie Bertrand, who, she lives in, in Norway. Now she's a Quebec who lives in Norway. And she's got these two kids, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. Yeah, yeah. These two kids, and they are phenomenal paddlers, these two little kids. Absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. And I'd never given Kylex a kayak lesson. And so Valerie starts coaching him when we were paddling together with her, with, with her kids and, and, and Kylex. And she's like, well, lean into the turn like this, place your paddle like that. She's actually giving him real coaching classes. And at the end, we're like, we spent two weeks together. At the end of like the third or the fourth day, like we're all sitting around the fire, we're camping, sitting around the fire. And he looks at me and he goes, Daddy, how come she knows so much more about kayaking than you do? <laughs> That's really interesting, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> of course, she loved, she loved that. She was like, she absolutely bust the nut over that one. Uh, and uh, I was like, uh, like I didn't have a response from him. I didn't say anything, but I, but I know why. It's because I've never taught him. You have I was always him. just, just have a good time. Oh, today you want to throw sticks? You just want to stand on the bank and throw sticks in the water? Cool. We'll just stand on the bank dressed as kayakers, and throw throwing sticks. sticks. That's today's game. And I we would get that. dressed up in our kayaking gear, put the boats next to the river. Yeah, we'd throw yeah. sticks in the river for an hour and then put the stuff back in the car and go home. I think that's um, awesome. I think that's awesome. You know? Yeah. And... Because I don't want to be that baseball dad, you know, the soccer dad who's like pushing the kid. And, and, and um, you know, I saw another pro paddler doing that with his kid uh, many, many years ago, screaming and yelling at each other, you know, and it, it kind of marked me. And I didn't want to, you know, I, I, didn't, I don't want to do that. Um, but the flip side of that was, you know, um, you know, <laughs> when Valerie started teaching him, he's like, man, she knows so much stuff. <laughs> that is, I, and I've, I've had um, people who have gone from you know having a, having sort of quite um, high level coaches that are trying to get them to discover things to a complete beginner that just gives them all the answers and they go how come they're so good compared to the high level coaches but it's the same thing it's just like oh dude they just told you all the answers or but they're the ones that they think it's not necessarily good coaching and I'm sure hers was but it, it is interesting those um, those perceptions isn't it um, I'm, I'm afraid we're probably going to run out well we, we need to wrap up I would love to do a part two at some point. I have loved every minute of listening to you, Corin, and I thank you so much for agreeing to do this and for talking to me. And I think I could have, I could have definitely listened to you for another 40 minutes. So it would be amazing to catch up again at some point. 
Um, sure thing. Yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's been a real pleasure and uh, anytime. Um, I, and I've loved it and I will be continuing to follow you and, um, and the stuff that you're doing. And uh, is it Calix? Is that how you pronounce it? Calix. So Kailix. we chose Calix because K-A-I, Kai is Hawaiian for water. Uh-huh. And Kai is a, a more common name now uh, in, in like California, yeah. Hawaii. You know, yeah, he was yeah. born in California. So we wanted a name that, you know, when he goes to Starbucks to order coffee, he can say Kai. Kai. And they don't mutilate it. <laughs> and write Rumpelstiltskin on his cup because they just can't get their head around Kylix. I was um, Sam and Samuel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so that's why we, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the, the definitive reason, but it was a reason that we 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 chose that and pronounced it that way was so that it is um, there is an abbreviated name which is something that he can use if he wants later in life if it's problematic having an odd name that nobody. Yes. <laughs> it's like asterisks in the goal though as well, isn't it? It's brilliant. Right, right. Yeah. Brilliant name. So um yeah, thank you so much. Um and yeah, I've still got a million more questions. And I'm actually really fascinated. I believe your wife was a motorcycle. Did you race motorcycles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she, uh, a, yeah very so. good very good surfer, good motorcycle racer, good snowboarder. Yeah. Um, you know, so definitely a a uh, a very sporting family. <laughs> yeah, and and um, it would be fabulous to to have a, have a chat again. And thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Cheers. All right. Cheers. Thank you, Gareth. No problem. <laughs> Bye.